peace. You're tuned to Fresh on My Fresh Podcast, Curtis Metcalf as I. Continuing on the discussion of classic rap albums and what it takes to make up the classic rap album and everything. Um, Some people, most people, don't know what a classic rap album is other than the artist that they like so much and the album from that artist that they like so much. Before I go any further, let me get into the classic album of the episode, uh, where it's actually quite a few. Um, Digital Underground, because like today is that day in 1991 that it dropped uh, Digital Underground. This is the EP release. DJ Quick, Quick is the name. Gangstar, Step in the Arena. EPMD, Business as Usual, and Main Source, Breaking Adams. Y'all go listen to these albums. They are definitely classics. They are the music, to say the least, has inspired a lot of today's, a lot of today's music. A lot of today's music tries to sound classic like those albums. Listen to what these people was rapping about. Some stuff is still relevant. Some of this, some of this stuff was fun. And hip hop needs to go back to concentrating on stuff like that. Yeah, the sounds and everything could change. Uh, other things could change. Subject matter, sounds. Even even the even the production, but still, if you ain't got the funk, you ain't got it. Let that marinate for a bit. We'll come back on the rest of the segment. Back to the lecture at hand. We're talking about these classic albums. Um, one thing I would like to say is. No magazine or blog site or website or any entity like that can really tell you what is a classic. You, the listener, the people determine what's a classic album. That's probably like, should be the first thing that, um, that's like in the manual or rule book. Let's just say it's the classic handbook for, um, for determining what's truly a classic. I mean, above all things, like what the music actually does, does it does it uh give you the chills? Does it does it redefine what your definition of a of a rapper or a rap group or a DJ or, you know, a body of work? Does the body of work speaks to more than just you? Dig it into that, I would like to read something. That I found, uh, since it is the um, anniversary of uh, DJ Quick's quickest name, I'm gonna get the old source review that I seen someone post on Twitter. Uh, they gave it three broken records because at the time, um, 
the broken records can be, can be considered for the mics as their rating system at that time. The mics didn't come into play till till at least like a few months or maybe the year 92. Uh, DJ Quick, quickest name profile records production by the artist rating three. Three broken records or three mics. And for those who don't know what three mics is, three mics is like, you know, it's a good record. It's a good album. It's good. It's a good album. But as far as the person buying buying it, unless you heard the album beforehand or heard the single "Born and Raised in Compton" and tonight, tonight is what pushed a lot of people to go get the album. Too, by the way, the video was in rotation. I know down here in Mobile, Alabama, that song was in the mix. Was in everybody's mix. That was the hot record. Um getting into the album he was different because even though he was from compton he didn't sound like nwa or ice cube or south central cartel um but three three mics is like the disrespect how dare they you know how dare how dare they you know um Southern rappers used to get like, like if you was an outcast or Master P, you got a three and a half mic ceiling. I started to say uh, Smoking Sean J, uh, Field Mob. I think they got three mics every album. And those, let me not get into that. Uh, let me read the review. DJ Quick is the latest product from the streets of Compton, California. On his debut album, Quick displays a unique a uniqueness that's all his own. The brother is a package because not only does he rap, but he writes, DJs, arranges, and produces all of his music. Yes, he is from Compton, but he is one of the only rappers from that famous city that relies less on the gangster mentality, although his music reflects where he's from. The production is good, but often becomes weary. That's like, uh, dude has some futuristic beats on the album now. Relying less on break beats, that's the beauty of it, you know? He don't sound like... Quick's able to come off with his own keyboard play. His rhymes flow with a voice that sounds like a, wide, a cross of wise, intelligent, and easy E. Quick's subject matter is centered on everyday experiences in his hood. Compton is often portrayed as rotten to the core, quote, end quote, kind of neighborhood. But through Quick's rec uh, through Quit's perspective, there's a fun humorous side too. The opening track, Sweet Black Pussy, gives you a nasty adolescent view of sexual bliss over a funky party jumping beat. With clever rhymes like I'm no I'm like Noah's Ark, all my bitches come in pairs. Other fly tracks include Born and Raised in Compton, where Quit shows pride in his hood and deep, which kicks a cool guitar lick while Luke while a Luke Houdini track from I'm a Hole flows in the background. The title song is a funky dope track that mixes Quick's musical abilities along with his fly DJ cuts. However, on many other tracks, Quick lost my attention and of the remaining tracks, only Tear It Off kept me awake. Nonetheless, this is a good first effort because Quick has a good grasp of the LA sound that will have low riders thumping and he distinguishes himself from other gangsters that are born out of Compton. And that was Big B. You know, the source had a lot of novices that that sounded like they knew what they was talking about but you know anybody it's just like on twitter anybody could put words or something and try to revise something and i think 
the failure, the grasp, the strength of the album. You only have so many words to put up. I understand that. Editorial decisions. This don't even bring into it the bias. I don't think no bias was there. I just think people who have a certain taste in music don't grasp the the um what's coming ahead in a few years. You know, quit quit with quit with going to be a legend, might I say. Um, but this album this album's classic, so you know, this is a proof that a record, a magazine rating doesn't determine whether it's classic or not. It's a lot of it's a lot of albums that the source gave high ratings that really didn't deserve it. I think some folks got cheated out of mics. Um Outcast. So the playlist of Cadillac music, he got four and a half mics. It came out a week after Elmatic. Ask people who lived in Atlanta and who were fans of Outkast, they'll tell you that tape didn't leave the Walkman. Hopping on the Martyr, going, going, you know, Decatur, College Park, <laughs> Buckhead, <laughs> Zone Three, all that. You know, people people live by that album. People live by that album, right there. Even the West Coast. It's a, it's some West Coast heads that love that love that album. The subject matter and the subject matter, the beats, everything that makes up a classic album, all that matters. And guess what? It turned out to be classic. Despite what came after, like they split the artists with AT Aliens, and then the people you pretty much got a whole new audience with uh, Aquemini and on with Stankonia where you you split more fans, you know. Some people who love Aquemini probably didn't dig Stankonia that much. I'd have heard a whole bunch of stuff and that's a whole nother podcast to be talking about outcasts. The point being is that sort of playlistic Cadillac music proved that a whole lot more, a different side of the South can be felt other than what was coming out. Southern rappers used to get accused for imitating the West Coast a lot. Even when you had Bounce going on. It's like Bounce, Bounce was national, but it went the same way that music coming out of Miami did. It made hits, but New York didn't want to recognize it. Those records was getting played in Detroit, in Seattle, and, you know, in places where you was getting received and people would do shows there. Um, Capone and Noriega. I'm just going to throw some album names out there. Capone and Noriega. The War Report. That started a whole lot of things. Even in the era where groups like Mob Deep and The Roots were churning out classic projects and everything. Capone and Noriega got four mics in 1997 for the Wall Report. You should know the story about that album and what, you know, definitely what came after that. You know, Nori did his solo album, then they came back together to do the, uh, do the uh, Capone and Noriega, the reunion, but that, that Wall Report album got a lot of rotation in spots where you didn't think it did. At first, it was like Capone and Noriega. They was coming out of Queens, and they was 
cut from the same cloth as a Nas or Mob Deep in them. And with um with tragedy to Gaddafi being the executive producer of the project, you got a veteran right there who really cared about the project. Once again, we go into uh the personnel of the album. It could be executives. And why not have a veteran like uh tragedy to Gaddafi doing what he doing? And he had a, he had a nice movement. Behind that album, you you put out Capone and Noriega, and then you have your mom thug guest on there, and then you know you start putting your records out like that within that same realm. You kind of like you know you fit in there, you fit in there with what was going on in New York at the time. You fit in there with your Wu Tang. You fit in there with uh your your Lord Tariq and Peter Guns. You know you 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 given a certain wavelength out there. That you telling the story, you you totally against the the uh, Jiggy era type stuff. You know, you know, you, you you bumping heads with what Puff Daddy and Mason them is doing. You right along, you right along those lines. Like cannabis is ripping up his mixtape appearances. DMX is ripping up mixtape his mixtape appearances and on record appearances. Before his album drops, Ja Rule is in there. The whole the whole class of ninety five and ninety six is in there, shaping up ninety seven to where it's gonna be. And here you have Capone and Noriega really dropping a uh, a diamond in the rough, even in the midst of um, even in the midst of the EPMD reunion, even in the midst of Rakim coming back and dropping eighteenth letter. That was a real, I would say, masterpiece of an album. I mean, looking back at it, looking back at it, it's a collector's item, pretty much. They didn't do nothing that dope again. Like, I would be far be it to say that Nori didn't like, you know, he put together, he put together like a decent, for some of us heads, it's a guilty pleasure album. We didn't believe it wholeheartedly. Or whatever, but it did what it did. I know people who have that Nori album. I haven't heard it to this day. I haven't sat down and listened to it. Probably heard, you know, I know the classic songs. On the Run, Eating, Banned from TV, Head. There's probably like a couple other songs I probably I probably heard or whatever. But, you know, for a whole year, I bought that um, Wall Report album. And it's stamped. Um, albums that folks don't even mention. What comes to mind is BG. Like before Cash Money got the uh, $30 million deal from Universal, they had some hood classic albums and BG was most likely to be on them. One album in particular was is All On You Volume 2. It dropped like July 11th, 1997. Um, and it got like, it, it debuted like number 17 on the Billboard 200. A real big feat for, um, for an indie label, uh, like Cash Money Records was still independent. Not that, not like they were stuck in New Orleans or something. Cause like I said, the impending at that time, the impending, uh, deal with Universal 
the 30 million dollar deal hadn't happened yet but it was in the works and it would actually happen with uh with the big time was how you love that volume two and with that came the the repackaging and the reissuing of other old um cash money sides like the first hot boys album the previous bg's album you know not a whole lot not a whole lot like pre-1994 stuff <laughs> and that's a whole nother podcast that's a whole nother podcast right there you know people have a a, uh, we'll have a different view on Cash Money Records if they had if they had had a chance to listen to the earlier albums but BG is all on you volume 2 I, I know people who live by that album I know it. I know about it from other people and just happened to catch it on wax I used to see the ads in Rap Pages magazine pen and pencil cover was curious about it and then when i finally heard it it's like wow this is a decent decent album before bling bling before chopper city in the ghetto before before 400 degrees it was it seems like they stuff that came after it's all on you volume two is more it's more beefed up more polished this is what this is what would serve you well in your collection that um it's all on you volume two um far far be it for me to say on that album that's some of bg's best rapping <laughs> he would have glances flashes of brilliance on other on other future projects staving off the criticism that that was like you know it wasn't no baby. It wasn't no baby rapping. That's kind of like a pun. <laughs> An intention or not intended pun. But that wasn't no baby rapping. Like, you know, he was a star of the show. You had, you had participation. Like, Baby is on the first track after the intro. But Manny Fresh is on some stuff. Uh, yeah, I've told you, you heard all the Hot Boys on different tracks. And then that was like the Hot Boys album. Then you heard them on the big timers, but as far as like a solid album, that that's one. And I would be remiss if somebody from New Orleans didn't mention those albums. You know, I mean, a couple of seasons ago, I I talked about uh Magnolia Slim's Soldier for Life album on the Parkway Pumping label, and I really wish that people would delve into it um a little bit more. Some people ain't a historians like that. I know some people remember. I know my my late wife Tasha put me put me on to it to the track uh to the track bitch nigga. We bumped that coming in from New Orleans into into Mobile, coming into the uh, Trinity Gardens Parade in my neighborhood, pulling up to my yard because we finally got through traffic. Now see why. I see why the bounce is strong. I see why the bounce is strong in New Orleans. So I'm always respect New Orleans. Um, OC. Let me switch gears on here. OC from the DITC crew. One of his pivotal classics. And he feels it's even more classic. He says it's his favorite album. He likes it more than his debut word, Life. is uh, Joel's production. Some, you know, going back to this 
personnel. One of the things you find that's sturdy about a lot of people's albums that I call classic is the personnel who's producing it. You have a dope MC and the the production to get you over. Or even a different record label to get you or get you, you know, their attention. And O. C. was pretty much a new artist. He came out in ninety four with Time's Up and then his album followed. After that, a real seminal release. Like you got it off of the single. You got the album off the single along and you heard all these other songs. And those songs was dope. Matched up a, a brilliant novel album, you know. Got a strong narrative. Word life was like that. Even on a mythical level, like how uh, like how Illmatic was. You had uh, the beats was done by Lord Finesse, Buck Wild, Buck Wild did did wonders on that album. Um, DJ OG. Organized Confusion was on there for a couple of cuts, you know. Um, subjects about about childhood, um, the art of rapping. You got some storytelling narratives on there. Um, he has an anti-cop song on there called Constables. Police be cocking me. You had Go Ahead with Yourself, which is a wild tale that it's like commonplace. Now, you have to go listen to the album. I ain't gonna tell you what the song is about. There's also, uh, Believe It or Not, it's a story. He even had his mom singing on the hook to uh, Ma Dukes and everything. Everything led her to a stellar album. You get the jewels and it's more grown man rapping. You got Premiere on there. You got Premiere on there on My World and 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 war games. You got uh what's the joint with the R and B chorus on there? Can't go wrong, which was nice. I used to uh when when I had when I had my girl at the time and stuff, I thought about her most of the time. With uh with that song came on. There's uh there's the chosen one, there's the crow. More narrative, more storytelling, more more powerful bars in in that that detail the title of the album. And he worked on a he worked I read in Elemental magazine that he, he named his album titles after bars that he laid in the previous album. Like if you listen to Word Life, you'll find you will find Jewels in there, like in the songs and the album title itself. And then Jewels comes out. And then the next album after this was Bowen Appetit. He says something about Bowen Appetit in one of the songs on Jewels. So it goes on and on after that. But he did he 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 did an interview with Soren Baker that I looked at and um he said that just the atmosphere and the feel that he went into making that album is what determined him writing it the way, especially the beats, especially the beats. Uh, when he got the My World beat from from Premiere, 
Premier had gave it to him. He sat with it. He said, yeah, it's talking to me. It's talking to me. Premier wanted to scrap the beat because the bass line, he said, it sounded too familiar. It sounded like Mob Deep's uh, Shook Ones, Shook Ones Part 2 beat. Even though two totally different samples that you just come to, I know how that, I know how that comes about. In in production and beat making yeah you could have a sample and you could chop it right and then you have that groove and it'll sound something like wow that sounds like this and it's like nah I, instead of me rolling with it i'm different i'll roll with it but he's he said nah let it ride let it ride he finished it premiere finished the beat and then he went back to the beginning to where he has that intro to where oc is talking talking over you know healthy and all that living and then he goes into the that nigga slick rich said i've been a long time sweating it and that's another reference that's another reference he referenced a slick rich song that everybody wasn't jocking like they did on uh the great adventures of slick rich he took that song he took the bars from us from a slick rich song on his second album the, uh, the ruler's back which everybody doesn't appreciate as the classic that it is because it came out on 1991 Def Jam. And there are stories I heard about 1991 Def Jam that where it's like Def Jam signed a whole bunch of people and they didn't come out. I'm looking at Downtown Science. They only dropped one album on that. That's another, that's another slept on classic of an album. But O.C.'s Jewels, you listen to the whole thing, and he's rapping a he's rapping a whole lot about how rap should be. That man is like a total album of art that had singles like "My World" was a single, but you also had "Fall from Yours" on there, and and people was talking like he was under the influence of Puffy, you know. One thing about it, I don't think he made sellout music. And the reason I say that is that when Puffy and Mace dropped, can't nobody take my pride on January 12th, 1997. That solidified the movement they was in. They, the Jiggy era started then. And the split between the Jiggy era and the underground era was on July 24th, I want to say July 24th, 1997, when when Puff Daddy and the family dropped in the Way Out album and Company the Flow mashed on with Fun Crusher Plus on Raucous. And pretty much the OC album was on that side. People picked that album up. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? It didn't break no wild sales records. It was on Payday Records. Home to like at that time, J. Rude the Damager, uh, WC in the Mad Circle, Showbiz and AG. Promotion was good on the album. He did, he did, he got some magazine spots. Uh, um, Rap Pages, The Source, um, Stress Magazine. So he he was around he was around the scene and everything. People was waiting on it. People was waiting on this album. Went and got it. People hold that album to their heart to this day, especially for what came out after. Um, 
we're gonna take a break for a minute and we'll come back close this whole thing off hopefully yo Curtis Metcalf here due to a production technique that I just discovered this episode will be continued on the next episode which is coming right after this so it was originally supposed to be a segment that tagged on to this but it's not done like that so gonna end this one like this and the next episode you listen to right after this right now like it's like what the DLC told you on his first album yo I know you love this side but flip this shit over because it's even more dope more doper shit on side two see this is it you listen to because side one was dope but side two is doper than side one <laughs>